One of the victim's moms in the alleged Brian Koberger slaying doesn't want the house tore down. Does this guy deserve the ultimate punishment? And it's always about the money, ladies and gentlemen. Who's getting a piece of it and who isn't? And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Hi, lawyer. Lawyer. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Thanks for joining us. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't, like if you do, leave me a comment below, and make sure you hit that little bell so that you receive notifications of when we go live or put up new content. And as you can possibly see, we are not in the Crime Talk studios today. No, we jumped into Crime Talk one Saturday morning, came out to uh, Las Vegas to see the U2 concert in the Sphere. Uh, came out here with the lovely Miss Kristen, and uh, we were invited by Scott Richter, the host of The Big Jackpot, uh, probably the person responsible for getting me into doing this uh, podcast. And anyway, uh, it's been great, and he's got some big news, so make sure you watch his channel uh, for it. Uh, something that doesn't really happen every day, but when it does, it's big. So anyway, it's been a lot of fun out here in Vegas. Always uh, great food, great entertainment. We'll try to put uh, some video or at least some pictures up of the sphere on the inside from the YouTube concert. Don't want to get any content strikes by them trying to say we're trying to capitalize on their music or anything like that. Uh, but it was quite the experience. I wish only thing I only th the the concert was great for YouTube. I just wish they maybe asked me for my YouTube playlist. It maybe would have been a little bit different, but overall amazing show you two rocks all right let's go ahead and uh, get to the docket today it is uh december 18th of 2023 so let's go ahead and open the record first on the docket brian koberger all right so as you know brian koberger's charged with killing those four students there in in idaho um well guess what kara norrington whose 20 year old daughter zena Chernobyl was one of the victims uh, alongside of her friends, has decided that she does not want the house torn down where these slains took place. Now, we brought you this story. It's scheduled to be demolished on December 28th. It's been now a couple of years since this incident took place. The defense has had pretty much unfettered access to this place to take measurements, to take uh, photographs, as well as the prosecution. In fact, when they thought it was going to be destroyed last time, the defense went on there one last time. When the word came that it was going to be destroyed, the prosecution, to their credit, said, we're going to give you one more opportunity. What do you want to do? Now, a lot of people that are referred as experts who probably never tried a criminal trace in their life are saying, we can't tear the house down. There's evidence. The jury's not going to be able to see it. No, they're not. Like in 99.9% .9 of all criminal trials, jurors never get to go to the crime scene. In fact, the judges tell them, don't go by the crime scene. Don't do your own investigation. You only can consider what is brought in through court. So the jurors aren't going to go on their own. It's unlikely that they would go on some sort of court. It's unlikely that they would go on some sort of court supervised uh, excursion. I'm telling you, in nearly 30 years of practice, never done a crime scene visit once. Tried to do it once, made all these arrangements, and the judge put the kibosh to that and said, we don't have time for this. Are you kidding me? We thought it'd make a difference. It didn't, and in the long run, it all worked out all right. So let me know what you think. I personally don't think it's that big of an issue. 
this is not going to come down to the house in the sense of access. They've taken photographs of everything. The defense's defense is going to be simply, is that all you got? A little DNA evidence? That many people coming into that house? Of course, Brian Koberger's DNA could have been there. Just like all the victims, just like all their friends. How many other sources of DNA did you come up with in that process? That is what they're going to focus upon. Remember, the defense has one problem in the Goldberger case, that pesky DNA. And I'm telling you, as a defense attorney, I'm telling you, you have to be able to explain the DNA. All right? Juries, they DNA, it's common knowledge now. 25 years ago, it was spooky science. Now it's widely accepted. And if you can't explain how it got there, then you got problems. Here, the knife sheath, sheath is under one of the victims and his DNA just happens to be there. That's going to be the problem for Brian Koberger, as well as the fact that he just happens to coincidentally be driving around at about the same time and his phone happens to be off when it's not just really close to the house. There's no coincidences in the world, ladies and gentlemen. I'm telling you, that's going to have to explain away. We'll give him the presumption of innocence, but that's what the defense is going to have to do. All right, next on the docket, does this guy deserve the ultimate punishment? Take a look at this guy. Now, once again, you got to give him the presumption of innocence, but take a look at this guy, okay? Oftentimes, people ask, what does a murderer look like? Well, in this case, what does a child rapist look like? Well, at least accused child rapist. This is Joseph Giampa, G-I-A-M-P-A. And he is now one of the first individuals in the state of Florida where prosecutors want to impose the ultimate punishment, the capital punishment of death. For what you may say, did he kill somebody? No, he possibly did something that a lot of people think is even worse. He actually assaulted a child and a death did not occur. And so the question is going to be, is that constitutional? We'll have to wait and see. So last Thursday, prosecutors filed the appropriate notice to seek the death penalty against Mr. Giampa. He's 36, and he was indicted by a grand jury on six counts of sexual battery on a child under the age of 12 and three counts of promoting sexual performance of a child. Now, the prosecutors noted that there are several aggravating factors which prosecutors say implore the state to seek the death penalty. Now, these factors uh, include that it was for pecuniary gain, and it was especially heinous. The victim was particularly vulnerable, and uh, he had been previously convicted of a violent felony. So needless to say, the state says we don't take this prosecution lightly, but we are going to move forward. And so the affidavit for the arrest warrant is relates to Mr. Giampa. So on November 2nd, police uh, responded to Giampa's home about a possible sexual battery. Once there, the deputies uh, detained Mr. Giampa, and in his camper, uh, the deputy said that there was a computer with a video showing an adult actually assaulting a 12-year-old. And after the uh, assault, the assailant, who was recording the attack, set the camera down and then walked in front of the camera. Authorities said the adult male in the recording was Mr. Giampa. Well, Giampa then actually assaulted the juvenile several more times as the video continued. Before exiting the room, the juvenile victim begins uh, cleaning up in view of the camera. So this case poses a huge constitutional issue. Now, back in 2008, 
in a case out of Louisiana. It's called Kennedy versus Louisiana. It was a very similar set of circumstances. And I won't go into all of the specific details, but let's just say they're very similar to Mr. Giampa's case. And this is back in 2008. And Louisiana had the same law in place that said if you do something like this, a sexual battery to a minor, and even if the minor doesn't die, you are subject to the death penalty. Well, the United States Supreme Court disagreed. Now, understand this is 2008, and um, this opinion was written by Justice Kennedy, who was probably more uh, in the middle of the road, swing vote, um, obviously not on the United States Supreme Court anymore. And so if this case, if Mr. Giampa was sent convicted and the case went all the way to the United States Supreme Court, which more than likely it would on um, Eighth Amendment grounds, according to Kennedy versus Louisiana, you cannot do the death penalty where basically somebody doesn't die. And specifically, I think it's worth noting because this is what the argument will be. Justice uh, Kennedy then wrote, this is back in 2008, remember, the Eighth Amendment applicable to the states through the 14th Amendment provides that excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishment inflicted. The amendment prescribes all excessive punishment as well as cruel and unusual punishments that may or may not be excessive. The court goes on and it says the Eighth Amendment protection against excessive or cruel and unusual punishment flows from the basic precept of justice that punishment for a crime should be graduated and proportioned to the offense. Whether this requirement has been fulfilled is determined not by the standards that prevailed when the Eighth Amendment was adopted in 1791, but by the norms that currently prevail. Now, why is that significant? Well, the court has changed their philosophy. They are basically strict constructionists. You review the document as it was written at the time that it was written. Do you think back in 1791, if someone had committed a sexual battery on a child, that they would have put that person to death? Possibly. Possibly. And so there's no, there may not be this uh, prevailing standard uh, that exists that uh, uh, Justice Kennedy then wrote about. It goes on, it says, the, uh, the amendment draws its meaning from the evolutionary standards of decency that mark the progress of the maturing society. The standard itself remains the same, but its applicability must change as the basics of society change. So this goes back to constitutional interpretation. Do you read the document as it was written at the time that it was written? That's what you do in just about any other document in the world. And the Supreme Court adopts that position now. Back then, it was more of this, it's a living constitution. We need to change with the times of today. Uh, Supreme Court doesn't believe that anymore. So uh, I think most people would say originally, Mr. Giampa had nothing to worry about. But now, well, he may. All right. Next on the docket, it's always about the money. How many times have I had to tell you this, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, you're starting to notice a theme here because it's true. It's what I've learned uh, after all these years of uh, practicing law. Uh, the study of law, the practice of law, it's really, uh, it's really a study of human nature. And uh, how does this come up today in this context? Well, how about the Rex Hurman case? Obviously, Mr. Hurman is uh, charged and alleged to have been the uh, Gilgo murder and uh, is charged with uh, multiple murders and suspect in uh, several other cases. Well, his wife, or strange wife, 
Asa Elstrip. Remember, she signed a deal to basically be followed by uh, some TV producers to see how this case goes. Now, of course, she's not going to profit directly from it, but apparently she's selling some rights to some old photographs and things of that nature in exchange for being able to follow the movie cameras around. That's okay. Now, lots of states, and New York is one of them, that says that basically a defendant cannot profit from his wrongdoings. Well, now, because of, because of Asa Elstrip, the New York legislature wants to get involved and change that law so that Elsa Elstrip cannot profit from the alleged wrongdoings of her husband. Now, you may ask, who is leading the charge for this? The victims, of course. They're upset. Of course, they put out a statement through their attorney basically saying, how can she get a million dollars and the victims over here get nothing? Okay. Now, remember, in most cases, victims don't have attorneys. That's just the way it is. But in this particular case, the attorney stepped in and good for them. Everybody's entitled to have representation. But the reality of it is most victims don't. Somebody's looking for money. It's always the way it is. So let me know what you think. I mean, is it okay for you know, Rex Heurman's wife to make a million dollars by selling access to her old photos, to her story? She's not accused of doing any crime. I mean, some people think there may be something there, but I have nothing to support that. She's got a life to live. She has bills to pay. If someone's willing to offer it, is that a problem? Or do you think, hey, she just shouldn't get any money whatsoever? Let me know in the comments below. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. This takes a new twist on this uh, food violence that we've experienced. So take a look at James Leach. Would you take a sandwich from this guy? I don't know. What if you bought it from a store? So it's alleged that after purchasing a meatball sandwich for his nephew, um, Mr. Leach then poured Visine all over the food, which was later partially consumed. Well, Mr. Leach has been charged with a felony poisoning charge. Do you think Visine, how much Visine would you have to pour on somebody's sandwich to get them sick? So apparently all this started when uh, Mr. Leach was ordering a sandwich at some point, apparently he's a regular customer there, and uh, apparently the nephew, they reside together and they have some sort of domestic history. Uh, the family doesn't get along very well. After Mr. Leach receives his sandwich, the guy that made the sandwich saw him uh, proceed to pour this eye drop solution all over the meatball sandwich. The worker asked, hey, what are you doing? You could hurt somebody with that, couldn't you? And he said, oh, it's just gonna make him uh, have an upset stomach and maybe throw up a little bit. Well, the in-store employee called 911. Um, now, Mr. Leach didn't talk to the police, but they had enough information from uh, the sandwich maker. And they said, well, a crime must have been committed. They talked to the victim who ate part of the sandwich. He wasn't aware that anything was in the sandwich. He didn't feel sick. But guess what? Mr. Leach has been arrested on a $50,000 bond. And obviously, he cannot have any contact with his nephew. So, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what to make about this. I, I don't know. At what levels does it have to be poisonous, right? I, I think that's going to be the issue in this particular case. But, Mr. Leach, you are a dumb criminal of the day. Uh, if you want to make somebody have an upset stomach, uh, 
Visine? Really? That's an interesting technique. Anyway, that's just dumb. So you are a dumb criminal of the day. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. Like I said, we are here in Vegas. Tomorrow we'll be back in the Crime Talk Studios. Actually going to go do a podcast on somebody that's on their show. We'll see if how it works out. They have like 11 million subscribers on one of their platforms. We'll see how it goes. See if I make the cut to uh, have it air. We'll have to wait and see. Anyway, have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk. And remember, the Constitution matters. Mm -hmm.